0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Let me begin this morning by saying uh, that some mistakes are bigger than others. Amen? Some mistakes matter more than others. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a typographical error in that last hymn. Well, there it is. The bright and morning star, we are not trying to move into a new gender-neutral understanding of Jesus. The D makes all the difference there, right? Instead of she, it becomes shed. Well, let me tell you about another major mistake that had severe consequences. Anybody know what's happening in London this summer? The Olympics, right? 2012 Olympics are in London this summer and... um, We are, uh, at least in my family, we're excited about it. We love the Olympics. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but this year for the first time ever, the Olympics are going to be streamed online every event, every day, live as they happen. And So some of you that are big into streaming video on the web, it's coming. It'll also be on TV. But in 2004, um, there was a guy that competed in shooting. Now, shooting's not one of those events that gets publicized a lot, right? You don't see the shooting finals at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. The track and field and the swimming are there. But in 2004 in Beijing, there was a guy named Matt Eamons. Matt Eamons was a, uh, a guy competing in shooting, and he had already won a gold medal in the 2004 Olympics. And he was in an event where he was in the final round of the Olympics, of this particular event, and he was in the lead for another gold medal. He's an American who had trained all his life for this moment, and he was about to be one of the most successful shooting Americans that we've had, two gold medals in the same Olympics. He was in the 50 meter shooting competition. He was ahead by three points, which may not sound like a lot, but in this competition it was a lot all he needed to do was to hit the target not a bullseye just hit the target so he pulls the gun up I actually watched a video of this this week he pulls the gun up he gets the sight set he moves it just slightly to the right his competitor is a chinese man and in Beijing, the people are going nuts for him. Right before the American shoots, the Chinese man hits almost a bullseye. The crowd erupts and goes nuts, but it doesn't matter because all this guy has to do is hit somewhere on the target. And he fires, and he kind of drops his weapon with like a satisfied look on his face. Now, in this particular shot of the Olympics, they've got the target that he's shooting at in a screen underneath. And when he fires, nothing happens on the target. Now the target one lane over had a bullseye hit. In the final round of the shooting competition, instead of scoring 8.1 points for the target he hit, Matt Eamons hit the wrong target, fired at the wrong lane, and ended up with a score of zero and fell to eighth place. Some mistakes are bigger than others, right? Well, today in Matthew chapter 23, we're going to see Jesus talk to some people that were making mistakes that were bigger than others. They were people who had aimed at the wrong targets. They were people that were going after the wrong things. Now the truth is, if you would have asked the people of their day, who are the followers of Christ? And we've been in a series talking about the difference between being a fan and a follower. If you would have asked, who are the true followers of Christ? People would have immediately described the people to whom Jesus is going to talk today. If you would have asked, who are these followers of Christ? Then they would have said, these... In fact, the people that Jesus talked to on this particular day were part of a special group of 72 men. Uh, The Jewish council called the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin had two different groups in it. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, I know this is going to be completely unfamiliar to you, but one of those was a little more liberal and one was a little more conservative. The Sadducees were people that read Scripture and put a more liberal kind of interpretation on what they read, the Old Testament. The Pharisees were people that read the Old Testament and put a very strict understanding of what was there, a very conservative understanding of what was there. And so you had these two groups. Now, how you got to be a part of these two groups was completely different as well. The Sadducees, there there was some work involved, but you had to be born into a group that allowed you to be a Sadducee. You had to be born into the establishment to be a part. The Pharisees were a group of people that you could become a Pharisee if you just put the right amount of work into it. Now both of these groups would have been considered followers of God in their day, and yet in chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to give them a sermon called the seven woes. Woe is an onomatopoeia. You know what that is? It's a word that sounds like the way it's pronounced. So like buzz, right? Now you can't work a whole lot of onomatopoeias into sermon titles. But Jesus does with woe. And he's going to several times in this passage, and we're not going to cover them all, we're going to kind of hit the highlights, is going to say to these people, woe to you. He's going to introduce it first of all, and the big question that he wants people to ask and to understand is, are you more concerned when it comes to your faith with the outside than the inside? Look at verse 1, we're going to read the first few verses here. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. He's talking about the group that they would have thought. These are the really religious people. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But, don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Verse 5. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarged their phylacteries and lengthened their tassels. Now that didn't mean a whole lot to us, but in their day and time, they wore phylacteries and tassels to show their spirituality. They put them on their heads. They put them on their wrists. They let people know that they were following the law. And they said they make theirs where they make sure everybody can see it. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seat in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi by the people. Basically, all of those things together, what Jesus is saying is, this group of people that you consider to be the most spiritual people in your group, the people that you would immediately say, those people are following God, what is really happening is, they just want you to think they're following God. That what they're doing is just to give the appearance of following God, but their hearts, their lives, don't testify to it. In fact, He uses slang or colloquialism that we still use today. They don't practice what they teach. Now, we change it to preach often, but some clever church observer didn't come up with that. Jesus did. And He says, listen, don't do what they do. Now, what they're teaching most of the time is is correct. In fact, He would say, you can listen and you must. You must submit to their authority. But don't act. Like they do. In fact, a little bit later, in verses 27 and 28, um, in one of his woes, he says to them, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! We'll talk about that word in a minute. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and even impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." What's interesting is, over and over again, he calls these Pharisees hypocrites. People outside the church that think they're the first people to call the church hypocrites are wrong as well. Jesus says they're hypocrites. Now, we know what that word means. I mean, we know that it means that it's somebody that doesn't do what they say they're going to do or that acts one way at church or in public, but is different when it comes to private. The word hypocrites actually comes, as many of you probably know, from the Greek plays that would have been uh, prevalent around this area during this time. Uh, they, they, in those plays, one actor would often play multiple roles. And they would wear masks and costumes that were different for each role. And the acting in different roles was called being a hypocrite, an actor, a pretender. Now Jesus gives one of the most vivid pictures you can give of what a hypocrite when it comes to following Him is really like. He says you are like a whitewashed tomb. One of the things that is true about being a pastor is you spend time in cemeteries. Part of what I do here at church and part of what is a privilege for me to do is to be someone that speaks as the family and community gathers to say goodbye on this earth to an individual. And one of the things that I notice walking through cemeteries is that some of the tombstones are absolutely magnificent. And some of them look terrible. But the truth is, it doesn't matter if the tombstone is absolutely magnificent or it looks terrible, the contents underneath. Is the same. And Jesus looks at these men who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the nation and says, you are dead on the inside. Let me ask you to do something today. And I'm going to give you some questions to kind of ask ourselves, some things he challenges the Pharisees on. In just a few minutes, we're going to be done. But I, I want you in this time, in this moment, It's easy sometimes to read this and you go, yeah, those terrible Pharisees. Those horrible Sadducees. Those hypocrites. They were putting all this stuff on people. Can I ask you, for the next few moments, to let the mask in your life fall and to open yourself up to honest, difficult questions from the Lord. To ask yourself, if what I'm about to say was true of the Pharisees, is true of you. Let me just be real honest with you. There are very few groups of people in the world today that are more in danger of becoming like the Pharisees than people who are regular attenders of a Southern Baptist church. Because we deal with the things of God so frequently and we have all of our lives. In fact, many of us are fall into categories similar to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Either we grew up as kind of a birthright, we ended up in church, or we're people that have worked hard to make it work. If our parents didn't, we've done everything we can to live it right. What Jesus is going to tell them about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and these leaders, is that they are more concerned about what the appearance of religion is than what really following Jesus is. To use the vernacular of what we've been talking about, that they had become fans of Jesus, but they weren't really followers of Him. In fact, they were really fans of being associated, not with Jesus, but with religion. Here's some things that kind of would say that you're like the whitewashed tomb, the hypocrite. First of all, you value rules more than relationship. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people. You don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. The idea here is that the people uh, who were in control of the spiritual climate of the day were more concerned with making sure the rules were followed than they were about the relationship with the Lord. They made it tough to come to God. Now, you've heard examples like this, but... uh, you. You could I could preach for weeks and give you weird examples that they thought had to be followed to be in a relationship with God day after day, and we wouldn't exhaust them very quickly. Just on uh, the, the commandment, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that came from God, from the Ten Commandments, but their interpretation of that made it so difficult for people to keep it. For, for example, on the Sabbath, you could throw something up in the air, as long as you caught it with the other hand. Because to throw it up in the air and catch it with the same hand was to make that hand do too much work. Somebody said that's apparently where juggling came from. It's not, but it sounds good. In what I call every elementary school age's boy's favorite interpretation of the Sabbath law, you were forbidden from taking a bath on the Sabbath. It was too much work. If you spilled something on the Sabbath, you could not clean it up. And they told people that rules like this are what it was required to follow God. Jesus says, you make it too difficult for people to come to the Lord. You don't even follow Him yourself that strictly. You can't. That's not what it requires. When you focus on the rules over the relationship, the problem is people equate rules with Jesus. Now, we understand that there are unwritten rules or things that have to go right in our lives in order to make a relationship work. In fact, uh, we mentioned I mentioned a uh, wedding ceremony last week, and when I was married to Susan, I made some promises and some vows to her. I... I I promise to take care of you in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others till death do us part. Right? How many of you made those kind of statements when you got married? All right. But there are unwritten rules that are also part of being married. For instance, I did not realize that when I said those things, I also said to her, I will keep my closet organized at all times. Or that I will keep the toilet in the seat-down position at all times. That I will have an opinion about two dresses that you are trying on to my untrained eye look exactly identical. I will be able to tell you with the correct answer which is the better-looking one. Right? There are unwritten rules that... I cannot listen to a conversation you were having with me and watch the Tennessee football game at the same time. I didn't know I was signing up for that. Now here's the thing. If if I didn't love my wife dearly, those rules could become really cumbersome. But you know what? I try to keep the closet organized. And I try to keep the seat down. And I try to pause the game and listen because I love her deeply. And what the Pharisees were doing and what we as believers are really good about doing is putting rules on people without the relationship. There's this epidemic that everybody's fascinated with. At least they call it an epidemic. That our kids, our youth are leaving the church the moment they leave high school. Now, the truth is, kids not going to church in college or college age is not new. The difference is, people and the kids, the young adults, aren't coming back. Everybody's concerned about what's happening, but what we're discovering or what seems to be out there is, That kids, once they leave high school, they can recite to you all the things it means to be a good Christian. The things that you have to do to be a good Christian. But in the midst of their time in the church, we haven't taught them about a relationship with the Lord. We've just taught them about the do's and the don'ts. In fact, there was one dad whose son had walked away and was at a conference and he was talking to the speaker. And the speaker said, I'd heard this conversation a thousand times that he ends up blaming the church or he ends up blaming somebody else about what happened. And this guy said, you know the reason that he walked away? He said, because we raised him in church, but we never raised him in Christ. Now let me ask you. Is your faith about the rules, about the way things should be, about the way it should be done? Or is it about a relationship that is dynamic and real with the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Are you a fan or are you a follower? First of all, people that are concerned about the outside rather than the inside value rules over relationships. Secondly, they value laws over love. Look at verse 16 and 17. It's going to sound kind of strange here. What are you blind guys who say? Whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. But if whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that sanctified the gold? Now, you say, what does that have to do with love? Here's what the Pharisees and the scribes would do. They would... They would make an oath with somebody. They would give them their word, but they would swear by the sanctuary. And according to their laws and regulations, swearing by the sanctuary was not a binding agreement. Where if you swore by the gold of the sanctuary, it was a binding agreement. So these religious leaders would make agreements with people with the loophole on the front end of how they could get out and cheat people out of whatever they needed on the back end. What Jesus is saying is, you care more about the particular understanding of the law than you do the people that God gave the law to. That you care more about making sure that everything is done exactly right and you don't care who gets hurt in the process. You care more about the fine print of the law than the spirit that's behind it. I read this week about a guy that that walked into a bank in jeans, T-shirt, went up to the teller and said, I'm here to meet with the vice president of your bank. And she said, I'm sorry, sir, the vice president's not here. You'll have to come back and meet him later. And he said, okay, well... Uh, That's fine. Uh, That's not a big problem. He said, but could you just validate my parking ticket for me before I leave? And the lady said, sir, I cannot do that. He said, well, why can't you do that? And she said, because our rules state that I can only validate parking passes if actual financial transaction was done while you're here. And he said, but I came to your building to do a financial transaction, and the reason that I cannot is because your vice president's not here. She said, sir, my rules state that I cannot validate your pass because you have not done a financial transaction. He talked with her for a couple of minutes and he said, fine, I will do a financial transaction. I would like to close my $1.5 million Account with your bank. He was the chairman of IBM. She validated his parking pass. And he left that bank. Now, that's what legalism does. It sounds ridiculous there. We think, well, of course you're supposed to take care of him. But how many times in church have we hurt people? Because in church we do things a certain way. I value rules over relationships, laws over love, and finally guilt over grace. Let's go back to verse 4. He says these Pharisees and Sadducees tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. They want people to constantly feel guilty, constantly fear what might happen instead of introducing them to grace. Eventually, people that are more concerned about the outside than the inside get exhausted. And it may be as soon as they go to college and they're exhausted with the rules and someone introduces them to something else and they take out on a path that is opposite of where they've been. It may be when they get to be young parents and they've been trying to be the good young parents that everybody wants them to be, and finally the kids and the job and the social stuff just gets them, and they become overwhelmed, and they run away. It may be during a midlife crisis when everything in your life you thought was building towards a point, and you get to that point in the midst, and you realize that here I am in the midst of the middle of my life, and it's never going to get any better. It may be. As a senior adult, when you look back and say, I did everything I was ever supposed to do, why did my life end up like this? Or it's time for me to settle down and not worry about anybody else. I heard about a church recently that was having a business discussion about moving forward and doing some things in the community. The pastor was sharing with them about some things that happened at, his, at a church that he grew up in that became a church that never reached out to anyone in the community, never did any kind of evangelism, never welcomed young families in. And he said, right now they've gone from about 200 to about 25, and they're basically just take careings, taking care of each other till the church doesn't have anybody left. Somebody raised their hand in the sanctuary, and he said to them, Pastor, let me ask you a question. What's wrong with having a service for people that want to be like that and just take care of each other? Can't we be a church that just has a group of people that that's all we really care about? Taking care of each other, not worrying about the future or anybody else. I thought to myself, I'd hate to know what Jesus would say to that group of people, but I already do. It's in the book of Matthew. They care more about Staying who they are and keeping in their lane and making sure the rules are right and everything's done like it ought to be, instead of caring for people and following the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, are you more concerned with the outside than following Jesus? It's a question that's relevant whether you're ten years old or you're a hundred. What's the driving concern of your life?